Anne and I, uh, when we were married, thought maybe we would write a book about good parenting because we had a lot of good information. And then we had kids and uh, <laughs> thought maybe we could write an article that could be of help to some folks. And now we're grandparents, and uh, today we have a few unrelated miscellaneous thoughts we'd like to pass on to you. That's kind of, kind of where we are. In this uh, series on loving God, and two weeks ago we talked about Jesus' good friends, last week good sex, today good parenting, next week good marriage, the following week uh, good friends, and then we're going to wrap it up with good singles relationships. And today we want to look at God's Word and uh, come up with what we think are some pretty helpful hints from Him about parenting. We come from a lot of different experiences today. In fact, we don't have all that much in common. Uh, What we do have in common is that we are all children by definition, and that our parents were imperfect. We all share that together. Uh, What we don't have in common is what kind of experience we had as kids. Some of you had great parents. Some of you not so great parents. In fact, currently in life, some of you are parents. Some are grandparents. Some are great-grandparents. Many of you aren't parents today, so we're really very different in our life experience and current life situation. But what we do have in common today is that we are all a part of God's family. And as we look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we getting with verse 4 today, we're going to read a message that sounds on the surface like it was to parents who are raising kids, but actually was to the entire community of faith. And because of that, it will be helpful for all of us. I'm going to read, follow along if you'd like to, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let me summarize. Love God with all you've got and impress these things on your children. Moses had gathered an entire nation together. They had been desert nomads for 40 years. He now was old, 120 years of age. He had been their leader, and he was about to die. He knew that. They knew that. He had brought them to the edge, uh, the geographic border, of the territory that they were about to go in, which had been promised by God to them. That was a wonderful place, characterized by this phrase, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not particularly a fan of either, but I understand that that's to sound delicious and nutritious, a place of joy and prosperity and provision and community and worship together. And Moses gathered these people together on the edge of the promised land to give his last speech to them. We call it the book of Deuteronomy from which we read. And in that speech, he is summarizing the most important parts of revelation that God had given them over the previous 40 years and is giving them the highlights as his last message. It's early then in this speech that he gives us the very highest point of Scripture at all. We know that because Jesus reiterates it years later in the Gospels. 
that the highest thing is to love God with all we've got. But the point of Moses' message was not to love God. He assumed they knew that and they were. The point of the message was impress these things on successive generations. What does it mean to impress? To physically impress means to leave a deep mark. In the book of Psalms, it talks about a sword which goes down into the flesh and leaves its mark, kind of graphic and visceral. To psychologically impress means to affect someone else's emotions and thoughts to direct them toward certain choices. To spiritually impress someone is to influence them in ways toward God and toward receiving His forgiveness and grace and living out a life of following Him in relationship. Impress these things on the children. Well, you can't talk about children and not have Play-Doh, right? I mean, it just wouldn't work, would it? And did you find a chair to sit in that had Play-Doh on it? Did you? If not, ushers will just throw some at you. But actually, but would, would you mind taking it out? Please do. You don't have to, but you're just going to miss a whole lot of fun if you don't take it out. So go ahead and pull it out. You notice that this is not called Play-Doh. I'm already doing copyright trademark infringement by calling it that. It's called dough. So you're going to work with dough today. This came from the cheap store. By the way, some of your guests, you said, I knew that they'd be talking about money sooner or later. Churches already do that. It's true. We'll get to that kind of dough later. But here we go. Play-Doh. Go ahead and roll it in a ball, will you? Just like this in your palms. Go ahead. There we go. Okay, you got a nice little ball there. Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay, take it in one hand. Stick your finger in the side of it. Just go ahead. Poke it right in there. You haven't had this much fun in church for who knows how long. And then take the finger out. Well, if it's like mine, your finger was all dirty, and now the Play-Doh's a different color, and it didn't make a hole at all. I would lick my finger and put it in, but it says right on the side, this is intended for fun. It's not supposed to be dangerous, but don't eat it. So we won't. What did it leave in your ball of Play-Doh when you removed your finger? The hole, sure. A, a deep impression. This is fun. Let's do another one. Go ahead and roll it again in your palms, and this time squeeze it between your two palms. Just kind of squeeze it out flat. You're making a very different shape. And then pull one of your palms away. In my case, the one that was not as dirty as the one that came off easier. There we go. By the way, this is for you to take. And your Play-Doh was brand new. It wasn't used by previous services. There we go. And take a look. And if your eyesight's just a little bit better than mine, you'll be able to see a palm print there, right? Very different kind of impression. Very much one left by you. One more time, right here, in a ball. Here we go. Nice little ball. Play-Doh, I like this. Anne's going to start talking again. She's bringing the beef today in the message. I'm a vegetarian, and I'm a kid at heart. Here we go. Got the ball. Put a fingerprint in it. Make an impression with your thumb. Pull your thumb out. Now, if you were a CSI person with that technology, and if you have had the kind of sorted past that many of us have had, they would be able to identify exactly where you're here from, from the database. They would. Because you have made an impression that is absolutely, distinctly, and uniquely yours. We're asking the question today, what is the impression that God has uniquely and distinctly asked you to make in the lives of your kids or in our kids? Take a look and listen to the thoughts of this little boy. Dad. You don't know it right now, but I'm watching you. 
watching the things you do. I'm watching the way you treat people. The way you treat me and my mom and my sister. The way you live your life is having a big impact on me. When it's time for me to choose a career and provide for my family, do I work ethic? Will be on my mind. The time you spend with me, even doing simple things, will give me a sense of security. There will be times in my life where I struggle with integrity. And I may be not sure what to do, but I will recall how you stood up for what was right, even if you could have looked the other way. Any of the choices you are making, I will also make. Please don't be afraid to show me your failures. To show me your mistakes, I will learn from them. Dad, are you listening? I'm watching, watching to see if you really believe what you say about God. I need you to help show me the way. Show me how to live life that isn't safe, but is good. So I'm watching you, Dad, every day. You're teaching me how to live, whether you know it or not. Well, you might feel, and you might need to, just take a big, deep breath after hearing this little boy's story or words to us. I know for myself, and perhaps this happened for you, that while you were watching him talk, you had your own story come to mind, either your own story of parenting your children or maybe the way you were parented. And it would be my prayer today, and Jared and I's prayer today, that you would be reminded of both parts of your story. I think sometimes our minds are quickly drawn to how we failed, and that can be rather guilt-inducing. But that's then and today. It's a great time to hear the Lord encouraging you, comforting you, urging you on in your parenting, whether it's with adults or whether it's with adult children or whether it's with young children, and know that He has forgiven the past and that you have a new day in front of you. And we know that the Lord's going to encourage and uh, confirm things and affirm you in areas today while we're talking. This little boy reminded us that kids are impressed by the adults in their lives. And the thing is, we're impressed by all different things, as he so aptly showed us. But today, we're not going to be able to talk about all the different ways that we can impress our kids. We're just going to talk about three areas where we make a big impression in our kids' lives. We can impress them with faith, with hope, and with love. 
The first one of those is impressive faith, and that has everything to do with our relationship with Jesus. Family is the original relay team for faith. We're responsible to pass the baton. We can't run the race for our kids or for the next generation. They have to run their own race, have their own relationship with Jesus. But we are responsible to introduce them to a relationship with Jesus, sharing who he is, what he's done, and what a difference he makes in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Now, Paul describes this relay really well for us and how it worked out in Timothy's life when he says these words in 2 Timothy, the first chapter, the fifth verse. He tells Timothy this, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. From grandmother to mother to Timothy. That great relay race of passing the baton of faith. Kids really are watching how we conduct, or not, our relationship with Jesus. We ask the question, can they hear it? Can they see it? Could they do it by watching us? How do you really make not just a little indent or mild imprint, but a deep, lasting impression in our kids' lives as regards their relationship with Jesus? We, to impress our kids with faith, we have to be real. This just means that we have to live out our relationship with Jesus in front of them. Kids need to see that it's really a relationship with all of the ups and downs, with all of the moments of drawing close, moments of questioning, moments of being puzzled. They need to see that or it's not really real to them. It's just some nice platitudes that they've heard their parents say but haven't seen it touch their lives at all. We need to let them see how Jesus is involved in our finances, our decisions, our disappointments, our fun, and yes, as the little boy said, our failures. And that is good, but it isn't safe, is it? Boy, letting my kids see me at my worst, that's not always fun. But kids are watching to see how we make our decisions. When Jared and I, our kids were um, just finished their sophomore and their freshman year in high school, respectively, um, Jared and I had an opportunity to go to Los Angeles for a job opportunity, a ministry opportunity, and we were wondering if we should take that. And we looked at where our kids were at in their life, and we were like, this might be crazy. It might not be the right thing to do. We could have just prayed about it and talked it over and announced it, but instead, we decided the kids need to be part of the decision. They need to see how we make this decision, and they need to do that with us so they understand how Jesus wants to be involved in our decisions. So we took them out to dinner, steak dinner. No bribery involved, of course. We took them out for dinner, and around dinner, we started talking about the decision, and we just let them know, we're not sure this is what we're supposed to do. We're, we're concerned that it might not be the right time in you guys' life to do this. And so then we talked a little bit more about the decision. They started asking questions. And at the end of the dinner, our, our son's first thing was, I think I could do that. And our daughter's was, how's the weather down there? <laughs> now, each of them had more substantial questions, had other things to share. And that dinner was not the decision-making night. It was letting them know about the idea of it and what our concerns were and asking them to pray with us. And it was from the end of August until October. It took us two months as a family to come to the decision. So our kids got to see that, you know, Jesus isn't some little machine and you you stick in your question and the next day you get your answer. 
that, it, that a decision-making process in walking with Jesus takes time and you've got to listen. And that you can talk to each other. That that's a very spiritual thing to do. But it's not just sitting down with pros and cons. In the end, we each have to come and bring what we've heard from the Lord. And all of us together made the decision. This is what God was up to. And it was very rewarding to, at the end of their four years of college in Los Angeles, for each of them to come independently and let us know that that was the best decision of their life, that it expanded their world, that it broadened their lives, that it enhanced their relationship with Jesus. But they had made that faith decision with us. Well, kids aren't just watching to see how we make decisions. They're also watching to see how we respond to problems. And not just our own, but their problems. Now, those of you who've had kids playing sports will identify with this. Jordan was a freshman in high school, and he was playing basketball, freshman basketball in Bend, Oregon at Mountain View High School. And politics were rampant, and there was mumbling and grumbling happening in the ranks of both the parents, the players, and the coaching staff. Not an unusual occurrence. And one day, Jordan came home. He was just... Um, you know, a little chagrin that the team wasn't getting along better, you know, really wanted to see more unity there, and he just wanted to play basketball. Come on, let's get at it. And so he was sharing some of that with me, and of course, in my mind, I'm a competitive person, if you didn't know that. And so in my mind, I'm like, I want my boy to play, I want to be first string, just like every other parent in the world, right? And he should be the point guard and yada, yada. This is what I'm thinking, and as he's telling me the story. And so... Right at that moment, this thought crossed my mind. I knew it was from the Lord. And he said, do you want a great man, a Christ imitator, or do you want a great basketball player? Because that will make all the difference in how you pray and talk about this situation with him. So it did change everything because I realized that God's priority for my son was not for me to engage in the whole politics and getting all antsy about that, but how could I help him let Jesus shape his life in response to whatever the coach decided. So he submitted to the authority in his life and went along with the coach's decisions and helped his teammates get on board with where the team was going. And myself, staying out of the, the fray of the parents talking and the coaches mumbling. And amazingly, it all died down. It's so important to be real with our kids. Let them see how we make decisions and include them in those and let them see how we respond to problems But it's also important to be consistent if we really want to impress them with our faith. What happens in our homes and in public needs to match up. That's what being consistent is all about. The word means to be harmonious, to be congruent, that this is similar to this. And that really matters to kids. In our relationship with Jesus, nothing's more important than our kids getting to know his love letter to them, the Bible, and getting to start their own conversations with God. Because let's face it, If I'm not having conversations with God, I don't really have a relationship. I mean, this thing doesn't just happen by thinking and sitting there, but we actually get to talk together. He talks to me and I talk to him. And that's what we really want for our kids. And what really convinces our kids to fully participate with Jesus is when they see our words and actions match up to what they're seeing in in public. But when they see us at home and it's the same. Going to church is great. Having devotions with our kids is great. But the big mistake sometimes, divide that kids sometimes see, is that what we're living out isn't matching up with all that talk, with all that teaching, with all that training. And it's when those activities of 
reading the word together and praying together are linked up with our loving actions and words with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our people in our community, with the people in our home, that it really takes hold for our kids. I mean, I want my kids, and I know you want your kids, to hear us have conversations with God and have their own. And I want them to hear us reading God's word, and I want them to be able to read God's word on their own. But even more than those things, our kids want to see us being real and consistent in how we live out what we've read about, and we live out what we've talked about in front of them. It's in that that we make a lasting impression of a real and consistent faith example. And it's in that that we really pass the baton. Jared has a story about how this happened in his family. And Lauren, this is pretty fun because uh, your husband, our son, is working today. So we get to tell a story about Jordan, and he's not here. And you can let him know all about it. <laughs> fun. We were living in Bend, and uh, Jordan was probably a first or second grader. And uh, <clears throat> that was the, the setting. It was a couple of, uh, a few days before that I was doing what we usually do in the morning. We had gotten up early. The kids were still sleeping and gotten a cup of coffee and my Bible and my journal. And I was sitting uh, in the living room of our condo and Anne had gone back up to the master bedroom and she was spending her time with Jesus there. And I, I kind of looked up and I realized where I was. I mean, I knew that I was in the condo and bend, but where I was physically in the house. We had a wood stove there, and if you're facing the stove, I was seated in the chair on the right side of the wood stove. And the flashback that I had was that when I grew up, I knew that my dad was the first one up in our house, and before he went to work at the uh, veneer mill, that he would sit down and have his Bible and would pray. And and I remembered that he sat at the right-hand side of the wood stove. And I thought, that's amazing. And then it reflected back further to my very few memories of my paternal grandfather. Uh, He he was an old man when I was born, and that's usually the case for kids, but it really was. And uh, passed away when I was uh, probably six or seven. But of my memories of visiting him on the family farm outside of Albany was that this big farmhouse where he had raised 10 kids and he had then been widowed for many years and lived there on his own, he had effectively reduced the living space down to just a studio apartment, which was the kitchen area. And there was the sink area and there was a big wood cook stove, which was the heat source. And then there was a recliner on the right hand of the cook stove. And on a little table next to the recliner was his Bible that when he died, our family got, but it was so used and soiled that it had to be destroyed. It couldn't be kept as an heirloom. So I was thinking about this, and I thought, Dad, you kind of did this to me, and Grandpa, you did this to me. It was a couple of days later when, earlier than usual, Jordan got up, put on his robe that was like my robe, came walking out of the bedroom, came over my way, sat down on the left-hand side, of the wood stove, smiled at me and opened his Bible and began to read. And I thought to myself, kid, you are, you are just stuck. You, you have no chance. You have been had in a wonderful way. God says this, that he passes on blessing to the third and fourth generation. And Jordan is in a stream of that kind of blessing. Now, I know that as I share the story with you about a particular thing in our family that's been imprinting and impressing, that many of your stories are very different from that. But let me say today, as Anne said very clearly, this is about today and about the future and about God calling us 
to with our own children and with our children as a church leave a positive impression. The impression of faith, and now the second, the impression of hope. A positive expectation because of Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes these words to the church at Thessalonica. We find the reference in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, where he says this. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul is illustrating his relationship by describing a father's behavior toward children, encouraging, comforting, and urging expectations about the future. Now, on the spectrum of expectations, you can have bad expectations, you can have no expectations, you can have good expectations, bad expectations. Ann and I were friends with the family for years. We occasionally saw the father do what we thought was a horrific thing to the oldest child who was a 10-year-old boy. In frustration, the dad would say to his son, I guess they'll just straighten you out when you're in prison. That's what he would say. That's a bad expectation about the future. The Bible says the, the tongue has the power of death or life in it. There's no expectations. You've heard parents who have said, we're not going to try to imprint our kids with any particular kind of worldview or faith. We're just going to let them make their own decisions as they get older. And what they have done is they have abdicated this tremendous trust and gift to take all of this energy and creativity and potential of a child and to begin to funnel it in some ways. With with that focus, help them discover what God really intended for them, which is the third kind of expectation, which is great expectation, which believes about a kid that God has created you, has made you on purpose, has made you for purpose, has meaning for your life and contribution and good plans, and you can trust God to lead you into that great future. Great expectations, impressive hope. The Pygmalion effect describes a phenomena, a well-researched phenomena, that when more is expected of people... They perform at a higher level. Now, not only do they perform at a higher level, but the person who has the expectation in them does more for them to help them perform at a higher level. So it raises the level of what both sides of the equation are doing. The person with the expectations does more, equips them better, uh, gives them more resources or encouragement, and the person who's expected a lot of performs at a higher level. And that's really all research only serves to confirm the way God's image was already put in in our lives. And that's what this research really discovers because it's of Jesus, it was said, that when he saw a bunch of little children, he called them to himself and he put his arms around them and he blessed them. He spoke well of them. And he didn't sort them out by family and say, you've got a lot going for you. You know, I can see right now, I I know IQs, you know, I'm the creator. So you're you're really on top of it. Or this one, oh, you're going to struggle, you know, with those looks. You're going to need a little help. You know, that's not what he did because every child of his had potential. Every child of his, he had a plan for, a destiny. And he tells us this in numerous places in Scripture that before we were born, every one of our days was ordained. 
So it's not just empty positive expectation, as Jared was referring to, but it's really based in because of Jesus, there's a destiny for this child. No matter what learning disabilities they have, no matter what physical disabilities they might have, no matter what temperamental issues they might have, there is something for them, for God. There's something they can shine at. There's something that God wants to highlight in their life. And that's what this Pygmalion effect is all about. When parents believe that their kids are capable of success and expect them to succeed, they do. Expectations about the future also drive our decisions as parents in the present. And it results in either more negative or more positive behavior. You know, the opposite of hope, that positive expectation for the future, is dread. And that's where that's a fear motivation. And this is how it works for parents sometimes, for some of us, is that we know what we did when we were that age. And it wasn't too good. This is particularly true when we've had a wild childhood. Um, whatever that looks like in whatever area, whether it was drugs, whether it was alcohol, whether it was promiscuous sex, uh, but wherever that's been part of our story, we take that into our child's story. And instead of having that positive expectation, we have a dread, a fear, that they will repeat our mistakes, and we make our decisions based on that fear. Instead of, no, what are God's plans for this child? He has a good future. They're going to avoid some of the mistakes that I have. And if they happen to stumble along in some place, there's a way out for them. And I've discovered that because I did that myself. That's the kind of thinking. And so it's so important to have these expectations for our kids. And this affects our work ethic and how we develop that in our kids, our expectations for them in the chores that they do, in their school performance, you know, uh, whether they do their homework or not. And um, that's a big one, the expectations that you'd have there. Um, I know in my household it was absolutely expected um, that we would do it, and there wasn't a checkup on us every night. There was a checkup if we got a note from the teacher, and it was called the, my dad's uh, discipline might come into play there. But these areas are affected by our expectations. Um, sports, how we practice, or music, how we practice on those. And most of all, our faith, our response to God's work in our life. What kind of expectations do we have for our kids in those areas? There's nothing that we want more than for our kids to say yes to Jesus. If you know and love God with all your heart, then that's like the number one thing. I want my kids to have a relationship with Jesus. They can be all kinds of professions and follow all types of um, uh, callings and careers. But man, if they know Jesus, that's a big deal. And yet our kids have their own journey in following Jesus. Some of them respond real rapidly and at a young age. And others persistently say no for quite some time. And maybe even try some things that we think are crazy and wild. But in the middle of that, we can't let our positive expectation go. My mother-in-law had four kids, and one of those, her son, Jim, um, had five heart defects. And his life was really precariously in, balance, in the balance, his whole upbringing. And who do you think was the last one of her kids, the latest one of her kids to respond to Christ? It was Jim. He waited until he was 11 years old. And that was just very, Jean had to trust that. She had to know that God had a, a confident future for him. And she had shared that story with me. And it was, so when our son responded to Christ at five, then our daughter, she was taking her own time about it. And at seven, she came home from school one day and told me, Mom, I went to release time today and some kids said yes to Jesus. Some kids, you know, she said it in second grade language. Some kids accepted Jesus as Lord. And I thought, ha-ha, teachable moment. I can ask her 
if she wants to. So I did. I said, hey, Hillary, um, you know, did you think about that? Would you like to ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord? Nope, not right now. Not interested. <laughs> she said, just that matter-of-factly, too. And if you know my daughter, you'd know she said it that clearly. <laughs> and so I had to just be patient. And yes, it was at the end of the year on December 31st when we were negotiating how many songs we'd sing together at bedtime that she began to cry. And she shared with me that she had given her heart to Christ at release time the week before. That was really a cool moment. But those expectations drive how we treat the present. When your child's not responding to Christ, when they're showing no interest, what do you say? What do you do? Does it exhibit faith or does it exhibit and hope or is it dread and fear? Well, not only that, but our expectations fuel our response to our kids' dreams. Our son was seven or eight years old, and he loved the presidents. He liked studying about them, reading about them, and, of course, we did everything we could to foster that. Now, we didn't know where it was going to lead, but we thought to ourselves, maybe this is a part of God's preparation of him as a leader. Who knows what he's going to do? You don't really know, and your kids have lots of dreams like this across their life, of, and they think they're going to do this and do that, and sometimes parents feel it's like their job to put the fences up and say, no, not that, not that, not that. But, you know, we said, let's just explore this. Let's let him explore it with God. And we were traveling, and we were near Mount Rushmore. And that's a wonderful carved mountain, four busts of four presidents in it. And we thought, we're close. We're out visiting church planters. Let's slip in here and show our kids this site. So we're all standing there, the four of us, these two little kids, and we're all looking up at that grand mountain when we hear Jordan say, I've dreamed of this moment my whole life. And we did what you did. We started laughing. We're like, your whole eight years or seven years of life. You know, we didn't say that to him, but we did to each other. Of course, we also made plans for the next thing we wanted to to foster in their dreams. It was a very cool moment. But kids are impressed with hope when they experience an atmosphere of positive expectations. And then there's the third and final one, impressive love. And this is loving others with Jesus' help. And you know what? We would say that if you wiped away the first two, if you had to only pick one of these three to even think about today, it'd be this one. Because without love, all the rest doesn't mean anything. Loving our kids and showing them how we love others is so big. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says it this way. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Our kids learn what loving looks like by seeing first how we love them and how we love each other. That is our spouse if we're married. And if you're not married, you're single through divorce, through widowhood, through any of those, and you've got kids, they're still watching how you love them and how you love the people closest to you. Let's... um, Let's talk about some of the ways that we can impress our kids with love. I'm going to talk through a couple of lists of things. One is going to be for, with our kids who are still at home. And the second one is a list that we compiled with the help of our 20 and 30-something friends, a whole slew of them. And we boiled them down to a top 10 list from them. And we're going to go over these, but I want to encourage you as I read through this list, Jesus is not talking to you about all these today. A lot of you, he's going, I hope you'll give yourself a metaphorical pat on the back. I hope that that's how your heart goes home today is, hey, well done. You got that right. You've done a great job with that. Because, you know, coming to church isn't always about him fixing you. 
It's also about him encouraging, comforting, and urging you. So there might be one area, though, where he's urging you instead of comforting and encouraging you, where he's saying, this is one you could pay attention to this week. You could get this more, make a deeper impression in your child's life. So let's take a look at a couple of these lists. And I invite you, be encouraged, and hopefully there'll be one thing in there that you could take home this week and work on. The first one, seven ways to impress our kids who are still at home with love. Demonstrate authentic love and respect for your spouse. Now, uh, last night, one, a great mom in our services, she's raised her kids and a whole slew of foster kids. She came up to me, she says, oh, yeah, Ann, one of the things that's important is the fireman's rule. And that's the rule that you only yell at your spouse if the house is on fire. <laughs> so that's, that's demonstrating authentic love and respect for your spouse. And the second one is be present at meaningful times. Meaningful being de- defined by the child more than by us. So being present with them. Um, it was some years back. Jared was traveling. He happened to be in the Chicago area. It was the height of Michael Jordan's career. He was playing for the Chicago Bulls. And Jared got an opportunity to go to a game, a live game, and see him in action at the height of his career. But he turned it down to get back home for our daughter's eighth grade basketball game. Now, right now, you've decidedly lowered his IQ, right, at his decision. But it was all worthwhile when we overheard Hillary telling her friends this, my dad would rather watch me play than watch Michael Jordan play. That's what we mean by being present at meaningful times. It happens to be that our daughter's love language is quality time, so that mattered to her. Give specific affirmation for real accomplishments. This just means um, that, you know, just saying, you know, you're a great daughter, that's one level of praise, but that's not specific praise for real accomplishments. I want to be able to define, that was amazing the way you helped your brother out with that project. The amount of hours you took, the, the running to the store, the hobby shop to pick up some of the supplies he needed, I really appreciated how other-oriented you were with that. That's what we mean by specific positive affirmation for real accomplishments. Listen to them without interrupting. Give them a chance to be better than they've been. I think if you're a parent or a child, you relate to that one. Um, We've all messed up. We've all failed. And how many of us wish that the person that asked us to do that thing that we didn't get quite right would give us another chance, that they wouldn't write us off, that they'd actually give us another opportunity to get it right. The sixth one, refuse to do for them what they can do for themselves. And this one just has to do with one of my favorite sayings from Dr. Howard Hendricks, which is, whatever you do for your kids that they can do for themselves, you're handicapping them. And um, that's one that we've tried to live by. Letting your kids grow in their independence and take responsibility for their decisions and incrementally more and more responsibility for their lives. And then seventh, is invest in experiences together more than stuff for them. Invest more in experiences together than stuff for them. Now, when we take a look at the things adult children want that say love to them, I think you're going to be amazed how many of these overlap. And it just goes to remind us that we never really completely grow up in what we need from our parents. It just looks a little different. But we still are kids who value what our parents give in our lives. So this first one, straight from the horse's mouth, as I like to say, though they're not horses, they're great 20s and 30s, invest equal time and resources among siblings and grandkids. 
equal time and resources. They realize it won't be the same things, but it should somehow, the scales should look fairly good so that they don't have to explain to their kids or their grandkids why that's not the case. Be at birthdays and special occasions. And they acknowledged, you know, you can't always be there. So the idea was participate in birthdays and special occasions. If you can't be there physically, then participating through cards and phone calls and Skyping and, oh, there's all kinds of ways in this day and age that we can participate. And in addition to that, they want to just add this little note. They love it when you can do that without being reminded all the time. (laughs) The next one is invest quality time with your adult child. This is one of those that really surprised me in a way, but all of them would really like to have quality time with their mom or dad. And they made special note of this. They felt like that in general, dads tend to think that kids don't want that as much, but they really still want it, and they want it from their dads as well as their moms. They wanted you to know that. The next one is take initiative for family gatherings. The fifth one, have regular conversations with them, not prompted by problems. <laughs> Did you ever know, notice how that can happen, start to happen to where you know, most conversations happen around a crisis or a problem or, or a needing advice? And they'd like it to be at regular times as well. Don't use money as a substitute for being present. Do something with us rather than give us money or stuff. These are kind of related ideas. And then the old advice one. Offer impartial, they called it neutral advice, advice that does not always favor your own child. (laughs) Present options and leave them on the table. Don't always require a response from us about your advice. Let it kind of sit on the table and just let us take it and work, work through it a little bit. And then finally, they love it when you listen without offering advice too. Sometimes it's just wonderful to have somebody that loves you listen. And then ninth is offer affirmation for character and wise choices. Believe it or not, us grown-up kids still want an attaboy every now and then. And then lastly is respect our schedule. Kids of all ages are impressed by the adults in their lives. Let's reflect for a moment on what Jesus is saying to you on the one thing that he's talking to you about. It might be a word of affirmation he's given you today. You've been doing really good at this one. And he's just wanting you to walk out today really encouraged. It might be, and and do more of that, but it might be that there's an area you thought, you know, this week, I bet my son or daughter or my kids could really use that whether they're older or whether they're younger. It might be that place in your life that he wants to help you be more consistent or real, where home will match up better with the public life. It might be a place where your expectations need to rise. Let's pause for just a minute. Let's close our eyes, and let's just think with him for a moment. Father, we just want to say thanks that you're the perfect one. We're not. But we know, Lord, that you help us and you make up the difference as we're stumbling our way toward making lasting, loving, faith-filled, hope-filled impressions on our kids, whether they're little or whether they're older. And so, Lord, we just invite you now to help each one of us in the area that you put your finger on, that you put your spotlight on, Lord. And I pray for anyone here who just needs to be encouraged, Lord. I pray that those of us who 
were encouraged in things that we are already doing. Lord, we'd do more of those. We'd get better at it. We'd be more consistent with it. We just thank you for helping us to be the parents that you know we can be. Thank you, Lord, for doing that with great love and affirmation for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So a lot of this uh, conversation today has been around applications of parents that are raising kids and a few for those of you who have adult kids. Also acknowledging again that many of us are not in that situation in our life currently. So let's close where we began. The audience that Moses first gave the big talk to. It was the entire community of faith, just like this, dispersed in all different kinds of roles and places in life and previous experience. And he said to them, I want you to love God with all you've got. Evergreen in our 80th year now. We are committed, as we historically have been in the congregation that's preceded us, to love God with all we've got and to love people as ourselves. And together we receive this charge from the Lord that says, and impress these things on your children. So as a church, we accept with wide open arms and embrace the kids that are a part of this community of faith, the kids that are near this community of faith. In this community, a few of them in a week and a half, family splash night, there's a a welcome card or invitation card in your chair. There's uh, literally thousands of others for you to take on the way out and distribute. We're inviting the kids and the families from the soccer league that we've invited onto this campus and uh, the kids and the families from Little League because there is an our kids near to us that we have responsibility and opportunity with. The kids that are far from her, us that are a part of our family, the orphans in Uganda, many ways that we get to embrace kids. So when someone asks you, tell me about Evergreen, you can say this one thing for certain. You can say, well, we are a community of faith that loves to make a lasting impression in the lives of kids. We love kids.